In this episode, we will be using BattleBards sound effects. Check them out, battlebards.com. And if you're signing up for a Prime account, be sure to use our code STACK to get a discount. Over the Sounding Sea The crackle of magical energy in the air makes our hair stand on end as the portals hum atop the floating pillar. Fragments of shattered stone and clumps of root-clawed dirt swirl in a lazy circle about the body of the massive pillar, visible signs of the broken remnants of the shaft through which it has recently risen. A gaping hole yawns in the ripped-up ground, and the walls of the ancient temple surrounding the shaft lean and tumble outward in the shadow of the looming object. And then there's the familiar grasping tug, and we're pulled southwestward with gathering speed over the jutting stone of the lonely promontory, past the shaggy nests of the white birds that roost in the hollows of the sheerly dropping cliffs, and then over the choppy waters tossing in the rising wind. The smell of rain is heavy in the air, and the scattered and lonely boats fishing the waters of Borion below are alive with activity as swarming crews wrestle with ropes and sails, desperate to return to port ahead of the coming storm. We turn southward, streaking over the water, perhaps a hundred feet above the churning sea. Fat drops of rain hiss as they disappear into the foamy caps of the endless waves. There to our right, the long, low coast of the eastern side of Yukonos is a white smear under a blue weight. In this world of tossing water, the island's central mountain seems unnaturally still as it climbs toward the sky. A little further on, we pass the mouth of the bay that leads to Karavi's picturesque sprawl. The city lies hidden behind a protective ridge, but trails of wispy smoke torn and carried off by the wind betray its location. Then we cross a broad channel, and there below us is the vast spread of Hinatian, the largest of Kassara's scattered islands, and by far the least inhabited. The island's northern end is the most populous part, which isn't saying much in this sparsely settled land. From where we are in the air, we can see two or three larger trade villages huddled along the coast. The buildings crowd together, a necessity in a place where temperatures plummet rapidly in the long night of the protracted winters. The village inlets are crowded with boats and ships seeking shelter from the coming rain. The more daring continue to bob outside the protection of the breakwaters, but there's a tension in the air that indicates continued watchfulness. Hinatian is a hard place, home to thick stands of ancient forest and the last vestiges of temperate weather before the cold reach of the polar regions to the south. There, Beyond the gray-green of the last hardy trees, the land quietly exchanges the mossy silence of ancient forest for the wind-scoured scrub of open tundra. We cannot see it from here, but across this frigid land of night and cold, a roving, scattered, and fiercely independent people live in hide tents and coax a tough life from the harsh terrain. But here, in the relative warmth of the north end of Hinatian, we begin to descend as we slow, heading for a coastal settlement that has been carved from the forest crowding the pebbled shore. Warm wind blows in from piling clouds that lower over the steely gray water. 
The salt air bites at our noses, plays on our tongues, whispers in our ears. To call this a settlement might be a bit generous. It is a walled complex, separated from the pressing gloom of the forest by a palisade and the wet smell of turned earth. A few long huts line the interior of one wall, evidently sleeping places for those moving around inside the palisade. The layout of the space inside looks familiar. It is another shipyard, arranged much like the ones we have seen previously. There at the south end of the rectangle is a platform about five feet high that looks across the length of the open space. A familiar figure, boot bobbing on his head, shifts excitedly, standing on one leg as his fingers tally something in the air. Asimeris frowns slightly as he arrives at an answer, shakes his head, and restarts his calculations. While this is another yard, it is unlike any that we have seen so far. This one is substantially larger, with five keels under construction, and the hourly streams of lumber indicate that construction is accelerated beyond anything we have seen before. And what a commotion there is. In the vast yard, workers scurry here and there. Sawyers work at shaping the larger trees. Some use wedges to bear the heartwood of fallen trunks, while others work with planes to shape and smooth the rough-cut wood. Someone sings a snatch of a song nearby as a foreman examines a sheaf of unrolled papers held flat by weighted bags. His finger traces the delicate lines as others crowd the table's edges to see. In another area, shining axes rise and fall, spraying wood chips to fall on the ground where they will. They will quickly fade from white to brown over the next hours as they're trampled underfoot. The smell of wet wood hangs in the air. Here and there, braziers glowing with coals provide warmth as workers cycle through to stretch and flex their fingers. Music plays in the background, and at a nearby fire, the rich scent rising from a pot tells us that a stew is bubbling merrily. A gate in the west wall stands open, revealing a broad path that runs under intertwined branches. A cart rumbles through from outside, its axles bowing under the weight of twenty or so felled trees that have been shaved of their branches. The oxen bellow as they strain with bowed heads, and the whistling driver intersperses encouragement with guiding taps of a willow wand to their flanks. The cart shudders to a stop at last inside the gate, leaving the oxen panting and blowing, while a team of ready workers is already clambering atop the fallen trees to begin the arduous work of sliding them out the back. We might watch this scene play out for much longer if we had a say, but we do not. We are seized again, forced upward, and before we know it we are hurtling across the open water, this time heading straight to the west. Before long, we see the long coast of Muaka. The coastal mountains rise in majestic rows, marching northward. Somewhere that way lies the white city of Abendale, but it seems that is not our destination. The wind sings past our ears, and we skirt the south end of the range through a sudden squall of rain, and then over the dusk-green jungles of the interior. This goes on for some minutes more, but then we slow, becoming less certain in our direction. We hover for a moment, then, with one last pull, we plunge down into another open area. Like our first stop, this one has been hewn from the living jungle. It is a long, straight gash, carved.
carved amongst the trees. Unlike the island yard, this clearing has no wall, but at even intervals around its perimeter are wooden stakes with banners that hang limply in the sultry air. Still as they are, we can tell that they bear the monotone colors of black and white. Bands of heavily armed warriors lurk just under the canopy of the trees. We set down near one of these bands. A cloud of humming flies is disturbed by our appearance and it moves angrily elsewhere to quickly settle back into a furious cloud. There is a heavy smell of sweat from the fighters. They grumble and curse in the oppressive heat, swatting at the flies we have displaced. One begins to say something spiteful, but freezes suddenly as his eyes go wide. The whole group goes still and quiet as a figure emerges from the trees and swirls by them, face covered in an impassive mask of metal. These tough warriors know their master brooks no discontent. They begin to breathe once more only when the reaver moves past without stopping. The master's presence here was completely unexpected, removed as it was from the greater activity to the northwest on the plains of southern Moriga. That's where the real action is, they tell themselves, where the glory is to be found, but to voice that where the reaver can hear it, that is certain death. No, it is far better to stomach the disappointment and hope for a speedy end to this work. And work it is, for here the yard is also full of activity but without the liveliness of what we saw on Hinotion. Instead, there is a cold mechanical efficiency to the operation, a machine-like cadence that must move forward regardless of cost. It is not pleasant, but it is effective, for here in the shadow of the tangled jungle branches, twelve keels are lined up, arranged diagonally to the borders of the work area. Already the ribs of most of the hulls reach toward the steamy sky like bony fingers. Wood shapers labor in dripping sweat, forming the planks, knees, and thwarts that will form the bodies of a new line of airships. When the reaver arrives at the middle of the clearing, he stops and turns about, tilting his metal-clad face toward the white sun. His breath hisses beneath the mask. A small group has followed him on this impromptu tour. They stand nearby, shifting uncomfortably in the oppressive heat and extended silence. Even the nearby workers have paused in their labor, but the reaver seems not to have noticed. Without turning to look, he speaks to his followers. Good. Very good. Make sure the pace of work continues. I will have this victory, and these airships will play a vital role. You will deliver them as quickly as you can. Indatus's ultimate return hinges upon this. The brows of the armored men bead with even more sweat as they mumble their agreement, but we only grasp the merest hint of their true words because we are already rising away to return at last to the shimmering portals atop a floating pillar. That's it for this week, Stackers. We want to thank you for tuning in and listening to this special episode that adds a little bit more dimension to what's going on in between seasons. We hope you've enjoyed your summer. We hope you've had a good and memorable summer. But we are looking forward to getting into our sixth and hopefully final season of this main story. And don't worry, I'm 
thinking of ways to continue our explorations of the world of Vardalon. So hang in there, and we'll see what happens next time right here at Stack of Dice.